Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats. My name is John Kroom, and I'm so sorry for the delay on this week's episode of Coffee and Van Chats. My contravans van was broken into twice over the weekend, and yeah, it was a rough weekend. I have to get my car rekeyed, and I had to get my house rekeyed, and honestly, I installed cameras out of my front door. So it's been an eventful weekend, and yeah, but all is good. We can only control what we can control. But anyways, let's get into this episode's guest, and that is Yuri Oswald. Yuri has a unique story by quitting his day job and chasing his dream of being a pro cyclist, winning races such as Dirty Kanza and being a part of some of the biggest mountain bike races in the country. Yuri now works for Goo Energy Labs and is still a professional cyclist and is an ambassador for some of the biggest brands in the world. If you haven't already, please make sure that you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. But first, let's hear a message from our sponsors. Hey guys, welcome back to Coffee and Van Chats. I'm here with my good friend, Harry Oswald. And yeah, I met him at a camp. I mean, we did this camp together. It was a like military sports endurance camp. And yeah, we were kind of like the two odd men out because we don't have a military background, but we were both there as like a coach and he was there as a coach and nutrition, nutrition guy with goo. And yeah, we kind of hit it off and I, I kind of fell in love with Yuri's story. So I'm glad that he could come on the Aww. podcast. So uh, yeah, man, how you doing? Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, the U.S. military uh, endurance uh, camp that we went to, that was awesome. That's one of the programs that Goo supports, super proud to support um, our, you know, our vets and current military folks who like to yeah, push yeah. their endurance limits. So yeah, that was uh God, that wasn't that long ago, man. Maybe what a year ago that we we met at camp and did some good miles together. And um, yeah, that would be, it would it would have been not this year, but last year. So like last year around this time, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yep. So, and wow, have things changed? Yeah, <laughs> things have changed, man. So yeah, we'll kind of get into that. But how did like how did you even get started? Because I'm like I'm reading your background, and it's like you you know you turned pro at the age of 36 you know, uh, one dirty cans in 2015, but you looking at some of these results from like back in 2003, 24, you know, 24 hour mountain bike national championship, like all kinds of cool stuff. So kind of give us a story of how like you found the bike and why the bike. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, uh, find the bike until late in life. I've, I've been an athlete my whole life, but I wouldn't say I was a great athlete. I was a decent athlete. I played all the stick and ball sports growing up um soccer little league uh and then when i went to high school i went i went to boarding school um i had the opportunity to pick up a new sport that sort of changed the trajectory of my um you know not career but uh focus at that point and that was lacrosse um yeah. i never never seen the sport before but uh it looked new and exciting and it was either play soccer again something i've been doing since a very young age or try something new um, and I decided to try something new as a freshman in high school. Um, and that's sort of a good life lesson we can circle back to later, right? This idea of, of trying new things and, and taking new challenges, because that's when we grow as people and athletes. So I decided- well, it's, funny, it's funny that you mentioned such a new thing, because yeah. like I just looked up and you're in, you're in like the Stevenson Hall of Fame, like high school <laughs> Hall of Fame. So you must have been really bad at it. 
<laughs> horrible horrible no so um yeah well thank you you've done your homework i appreciate i'm flattered dude yes i was a huge honor to be inducted into my high school's uh first round uh hall of fame athletes um yeah. but i will press that or uh give the disclaimer that um i don't think it was my high school accomplishments necessarily uh. that got to the hall of fame maybe uh but more so what i've done post high school, college, and then my career on the bike. So um, as a freshman, I picked up lacrosse, fell in love with it, was horrible, um, did some camps. I came back as a sophomore um, and they had tryouts for the varsity team and I had no business trying out for varsity. Yeah. I mean, I was a bench warmer as a freshman, but I could run. And they had this weird like criteria that if you could break six minutes, uh, in the mile that you could have a tryout for varsity. So me and my buddy were like, dude, we are breaking six minutes so we can have a tryout for varsity. And we, I think I did like a, a 541, which is not that fast. Yeah. But it, it got us that tryout for varsity. And lo and behold, we, we made the team. I was, I was a third string midfielder. He played attack. And then I just continued to pour my energy into that sport. I still played baseball and football. Football was my other, was my other sport. I was quarterback um, and ran the option my senior year. Uh, but uh, lacrosse was always the sport that like, I was really, really passionate about. And so fast forward to college, it became my ticket to, to college. You know, I was a solid like B, B plus students. So um, having, you know, a sport that um, could open some doors to be quite honest for me, yeah. uh, allowed me to get into Cal Berkeley. And so I went to Cal Berkeley and was the captain of the team for two years and um, had various like all-star accolades and stuff like that in my years at Cal. Awesome. Uh, and then when I graduated from Cal in 1993, so people could start doing the math to figure out how old I am. I was uh, born then. <laughs> there yeah. you go. August there 22nd, you go. 1993. <laughs> there you go. Dude, yeah. So um, that's when I graduated from college and I packed up my Volkswagen van. Yeah. Um, and actually sitting in a van. Vans have also yeah, yeah. been a theme in my life. I love having a vehicle awesome. I can because I'm very nomadic. Yeah. Um, but uh, I went back east, I packed up my van, I drove back east to teach at a prep school uh, in Pennsylvania. And it was in Pennsylvania that I was first introduced to the bike. I mean, yes, I knew how to ride a bike. I had a BMX sure. bike, as I did, but it wasn't something I did recreationally because I lived on a farm out of town and um, I had other things going on and ranch chores, stuff like that. So yeah. bike wasn't on my radar. But when I went to Pennsylvania, I wasn't playing lacrosse anymore. I wasn't good enough to like, you know, play pro box lacrosse or anything like that. And that's where I discovered the bike. Two people I taught with were avid cyclists. Uh, they would take me out on their weekend rides, let me borrow their bike, literally cut off shorts and like Chuck Taylors, you know, flat pedals with cages. And um, I was a bull in a china shop, just breaking parts Sounds and breaking. Right, yeah. But I loved it. You know, yeah. it was the the adventure, experiencing new places, pushing your physical limits, which is which is something I've always enjoyed. Probably like you, just that going to the ragged edge of what you think you're capable of doing physically. Um, 
And so Mark and Ellen Nelson, I credit them with introducing me to the bike. They were the two folks that I taught with at the Hill School uh, who were generous enough to let me borrow their GT Zaskar, you know, awesome. old bike from back in the day, 26 inch wheels, all that stuff. So that's how I discovered the bike. And that was in like probably 94. Yeah. And um, well, I'll let you ask another question. We can circle around on all no, sorts. No, no, that's awesome. So like, I kind of like, you know, just, just thinking about, well, one, you know, you packed up this Volkswagen van, like in 93. Um, and now you're <laughs> yep. in a current van. So tell us a little bit about the van that you're current currently in and like, oh. it's set up. So I'll put a link in the description below guys. Yes. There's a video from bike rumor that did like the whole van tour yeah. and this whole cool thing. But if you're listening, kind of give us a breakdown of what van you're in. Oh man, this is my pride and joy. This is the uh, best van I've ever had in my life. And I've had probably, you know, five or six Volkswagen vans. I've had the 40 Conoline van, you know, the one parked down by the river yeah, yeah. Uh, that I have to live in, all that stuff. So I'm currently in a 2019 Mercedes van um, that was done on Sync, uh, Sync vans out of Idaho. And okay. you guys can kind of get a sense of, you know, I've, I've, haven't even unloaded my bikes from our last little trip so i've got bikes underneath we can put bikes awesome. on bed up there cabinets i've got you know a sink we've got a plug-in fridge down here a dometic um and a goal zero battery so my wife and i can be off the grid for three or four days it's wired for solar but we don't we haven't hooked it up yet yeah i haven't i haven't gone the solar route either yet i really yeah. want to because like you know you go on one like so you get the van right and you're just like i don't need like i got two days of electric electricity i don't need it and then you yeah. go out on a trip and you're just like shit i need solar i need yeah. solar. yep yeah that's why <laughs> we had it we have it wired in to to put panels up top yeah. um, when, when we get to that place. But right now, you know, we can go, you know, almost four days yeah. uh, with, with a fridge running, with, you know, a sink that runs that, with a shower out the back. Um, so really, really convenient. So we got this about a year ago. We had to wait a year to get it. There's such a backlog for these sink vans out of, um, out of Idaho. Um, and uh, yeah, they just do a really good job uh, with dialing in, they have like four or five sort of base models that they use to plug and play for folks and it keeps costs down. Um, but yeah, check them out. Sync vans. This Sync is so vans. Yeah. Stoked. Um, I, we literally picked it up a year ago and I went on the road for like six weeks, uh, with my wife and my large Rhodesian Ridgeback and, um, really comfortable, fun way to, to, to spend your days. Sweet. So how long, so how long have you been like, what's the, I'm trying to think of how to ask this. So what's the time between this van and your last van? Cause it's like, dude, you've had vans pretty much my entire life. Um, <laughs> I <know>. so, like <laughs> what was your last van? <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so funny. I, my last van was a mistake. Unfortunately, I made a mistake. Yeah. I bought a Ford transit and there's nothing against Ford. It was, it was the, the type of van. I bought a, a, an empty Ford transit, like extra long, extra tall mm -hmm. uh, thinking that I would have it built out. Yeah. Not by me. Cause I'm not handy. I'm not good with building things or tools or anything like that, but have some folks build it out. And I had a friend at the Ford dealership here in town. And so I got a little bit of a friends and family deal on the van. So went forward with it. And then I just whole build out process kind of got stalled out. 
by ver for various reasons and it just didn't come together like I had hoped uh, two years ago and we saw the sink vans and my wife was like what would you think about getting one of these and I was like let's do it so like we literally put a deposit down right there even though we had this other van that had maybe had a year um, and then uh, waited a year, got the sink, sold my Ford Transit. And so, so here we are uh, in the sink van. So that's how, how I landed in this. Isn't it crazy though, how your wives, like our wives can make such great decisions. Like you buy that Ford Transit and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to build it out. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do that. And then like, you can immediately go, oh yeah, she didn't have any, have any say in that. You know, it's like, and so I went, when I went to go buy this van, yeah. uh, I broke my collarbone. Financially, I was in a bad spot health insurance, non-existent. It was bad. And she's like, I need a new car. You need a van. Let's go look at vans. So I'm looking at like Mercedes Sprinters. I'm looking at these big tall boys, like, you know, 40, $50,000 vans. And she's just like, yeah, ah, I'm not going to drive that. Like, you're going to need to get a small cargo van. And I'm like, I'm pouting in, I'm, I feel like I'm 12 in this dealership, <laughs> just with like my arms yeah. crossed and I'm like pouting in there and come to find out, man, they've been building out these small cargo vans all over the place yeah so, like my van could probably fit in the back of your van like it, it's it it's might so be able small. to yeah it's yeah. so small and uh but it's got a bed it's got a fridge it's got a shower it's got everything you need it's just that the moment a shoe's out of place boom it's a mess um yeah. but but yeah it's 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 really inspirational just to hear you just know you know we got to love our wives man love our partners we well, so here's the real story too around this van. So I had the Ford Transit and Sync Vans was, a, um, they were one of the sponsors of Rebecca's Private Idaho and they had all these vans out on display. Yeah. And I had been trying to figure out a way to um, gently get Vanessa over there to look them out like in the back of my head, hoping she would want to, you know, throw down and get one of these new ones, even though we had a perfectly good van. And so when we went over there and started looking at them, like in the, my, in the back of the head the whole time, I was like, God, I hope she says something about, let's get one of these, let's get one of these. And then when she was like, well, what do you think about? And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was just asking so was, you where you wanted to eat lunch here. Yeah, oh, yeah no, cool. I'll wait yeah. for next time. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. But it was like, she was like, what do you think about this? I'm like, I'm in, let's do yeah, it. That's awesome. Yeah. No, God bless our wives. Yeah. 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 No, that's super cool, man. And, and, and yeah, like, like I said, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, like I fell in love with your story. Like Aww. I think one, cause I think cycling is so cool in the fact of where everybody comes from, even if it's just like, Hey, like my dad or my mom or whoever got me into the sport and I was a junior and now I'm here. And like, yeah. that's still a great story. And it's like with me, with the weight loss, but with you, like, there was a mixture of just like trying to chase this pro dream, but also worrying about your family because your wife was sick at the time. Yeah. And, and so there was, there was a time where, you know, the year that you won, like uh, DK, I'd love to talk about how, you know, I might end up crying on this fucking podcast because it's, it's <laughs> me too. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So let's hear it, man. Hey guys, sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to let you guys in on a little secret that I wish I knew about sooner, and that is chamois butter. With the current pandemic and everybody jumping on bikes, you're probably wondering to yourself, am I supposed to feel uncomfortable down there? And then you decide to confide in somebody that you trust and that maybe even got you into cycling and they just say, oh, you'll get used to it. 
Well, in reality, it's actually an easy fix and you don't have to get used to pain. And that is by using chamois butter. This product is something again that I wish I knew about sooner. And when I found out about it, it made my rides that much more enjoyable along with allowing me to ride longer. So don't ride in discomfort and check out chamois butter today. Now let's get back to the episode. Well, so uh, I guess I should just preface this conversation by saying, you know, um, you know, my wife is a huge part of my success as a cyclist because she's been super supportive of me running around the country, flying around the world, doing events. Um, even when I wasn't really like that good at it or that much of like a pro rider because you know, in my prior life, I was an elementary school teacher. I taught elementary school first, second, and third grades for 11 years. Um, right after I taught high school in Pennsylvania and discovered the bike, when I came back home to Northern California, I entered the elementary uh, classroom and was chasing, chasing the dream, going to the Norbas. But I had kind of gotten stalled out in the semi-pro category, which is a category that no longer exists. And it was, it was the category to be act as a stepping stone for experts to go to pro because the, the jump from expert to pro was, was a huge gap. Um, so I had qualified to make it to semi-pro, but I was never going to get out of semi-pro. I was pack fodder, bro. Like, yeah. you know, field at best at nationals and stuff like that. But then I discovered... Um, that I had the ability to ride for long periods of time, you know, just like keep grinding it out and that I was better suited for long distance events. And that was right around the time that Norba Nationals introduced a, a discipline called the marathon. So it was longer than the cross country, you know, like 40 to 50 mile um, XC events. And that's where I really found my niche. I started doing those, got a few decent results. And then, um, as you mentioned, I, I turned pro at 36 after getting ninth at a 24-hour solo world championships. I have a few victories of solo, uh, you know, uh, events that helped me turn pro. But, like, it wasn't, you know, like turning pro um, meant that endorsements or money came rolling in. It was just a dream, you know. It was just something yeah. that I, you know thought I might be able to achieve but wasn't sure if it was going to happen and so I was just chasing that dream and it, and it and it came together and uh and then that just sort of like inspired me to to go even harder and and longer and continue chasing this dream and then I stepped out of the classroom um almost a decade ago now um and went into the bike industry uh as a marketing manager for Marin Bikes which was my bike sponsor at that time um and found gravel like in 2013. Um, that was my first DK. I went out there. I was working for Goo at that point, and we were a sponsor. I'd never done a gravel race before. I didn't even really know what gravel was. I did it on my cyclocross bike on 35s. Um, and I fell in love with the event, the place, the people, the community was, was amazing. And um, started working with a coach which was new for me I'd always been sort of the uh quantity over quality miles kind of guy just go ride for fun no structure in my life started training with power and heart rate and that made all the difference in the world um and set me up to have you know the performance I did in in 2015 
Um, and, you know, Mother Nature, those who are familiar with the conditions in 2015, Mother Nature had a little bit of hand in, and I think helping me because it was biblical mud, super gnarly. It had been raining for like a week straight prior to the 2015 DK flooding. Um, they weren't even sure they were going to be able to run like their A course. They were starting to think about options B, C uh, to safely run the event. Um, and so uh, the muddy conditions actually played into my hand better because uh, I'm not afraid to run my lacrosse background. I'm a bigger guy like you, bigger, yeah. you know, than most cyclists. So I'm not afraid to my bike. Um, and so a uh, combination of patience and running and just being smart um, and always being in the right place at the right time. Uh, set me up to it came down like you know to a sprint finish um which is unheard of usually in a 200 mile event um but yeah 2015 was was an amazing amazing year that has changed the tra trajectory and like enriched my life in so many different ways yeah and, and it's so cool man because it's like I, I i think you're so humble about it in the sense of like oh yeah i trained hard and i rode hard and it's like like the the conditions there like literally you had pros passing you that were in front of you going backwards saying fuck this like i'm yep. out like no out. forget this and <laughs> yeah. and you were super well prepared and one thing that's always stuck with me and that's kind of you know you gravel geeks that are trying to get into this stuff download the gpx file do yes. it and yep. bring an external battery that's one thing yep. that he's taught me and I did it for uh, Mid-South and it was the yeah. smartest thing I ever did. Yes. So for folks who don't know the, the backstory um, with sort of maybe other factors that helped me that day is there was a kid, Michael Sensenbaugh, who was off the front. He, he got away um, and we didn't, we didn't see him for the whole race. I see him until two months ago when I actually caught him and part of, one of his issues was his computer, I think, died, and he wasn't taking the maps uh, that they were giving at the checkpoints to have as a backup, right? So you could have a paper backup, which is super important if your computer goes out, because DK doesn't mark the course. Most gravel events do not mark their courses because they're so big, expansive, and um, so he was having, I think, some navigation, navigational issues, which were slowing him down. Um, and so, yeah, it just speaks to what you said. Be prepared. Have an extra battery. Make sure you have their route. Take the papers if they're handing them out at yeah. the, the aid stations. It's not, you know, not going to weigh you down. And if your computer goes out, at least you have something that tells you when and where to turn. Um, so, yeah, there were a few factors that came into play. And then just, you know, I'm thankful for my coach that year who – uh, you know, gave me a really solid program. And actually, this is sort of funny, and you would appreciate this as a track sprinter. Um, you know, he had me doing some really hard sprint type efforts about a month out from the event. And I was cursing him. I'm like, dude, why are you having me do? I mean, this is a 200 mile event. Why am I doing sprints? Like I'm not a sprinter. And lo and behold, <laughs> yeah. those workouts the most pivotal of probably what I did because it allowed me to out sprint a kid who is like 20 years, my junior or right around there. Um, after 200 miles, 13 hours in the saddle, you know, it was like a four block drag race down, down the main Boulevard. 
And um, yeah, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking. I mean, that was like, I, I don't, it's weird. I went into um, what some people call flow state, I think. I, uh, the, my last memory until I crossed the finish line was at the top of the boulevard. And I just remember saying to myself, I'm going to start the sprint first and just go for it. And that's the last thing I remember until I crossed the finish line um, and had beat him by like a wheel length. And, um, and then I came through and I w let out this weird like guttural scream and I'm not a, I'm not a huge talker or anything. I don't ever like say anything when I come across the finish line, but I think it was a combination of uh, just like amazement, shock, what I had just done. There was a lot of emotion wrapped up into that victory because, as you mentioned, my my wife is a cancer survivor, mm -hmm. and um, she had flown out and surprised me the night before. Uh, she showed up. She did a great trick. She called me as if she was calling from California to wish me well, and we hung up. And then five minutes later, there was a knock on the door of the house that we had rented, and there was my wife with my buddy's wife. And so awesome. know that Vanessa was there cheering me on, just gave me a lot of um, added motivation and drive that day. And uh, I hadn't seen her until um, the mile 150, I think it was Cottonwood aid station. And she was there and I came into that aid in second place. I came in second and third. I rode in with a kid and um, I was like, Hey, if, I'm going to be super quick in this pit. Like if you want to continue, we had been working together like the last 50 miles. I was like, if you want to work together, you got to be super quick. Cause I'm going to be in and out. And, uh, he wasn't quick enough to get in and out. And I rolled out solo, my wife chasing me out of town. And what I didn't know, which is, I'm glad I didn't is that, um, the first place had 20 minutes on me with 50 miles to go, you know, and I'm, I'm glad I didn't know that because it might've sort of crushed my drive a bit. Yeah. Um, but leaving Cottonwood, I just settled into like a power zone that I knew I could hold for a long period of time. And I knew those last 50 miles really well. And I was just stoked to be riding in second place. You know what I mean? That was a win for me. Um, and so then the kid with two miles to go was a complete shocker. And then to win it was just, I, I can't explain how uh, like monumental it was for me on so many different levels. Yeah. As a 40 too so yeah yeah not I that think, age is a big thing no and and but that's what i think so great everybody does think age is a big thing i'm gonna have you know i have i would like to think that the majority of my listeners can end up around your age and they're thinking to themselves like wow i wish i could do that you, you just fucking did it that can <laughs> yeah, yeah you know what i mean yeah. and, and, yes. and it, it's doable and it, you know with the right support system with the right drive I think anything's kind of achievable in that sense. And it's kind of cool to kind of see that and hear that. I mean, dude, I mean, you're killing it. You're crushing it right now. As far <laughs> well, as, like, thanks. As, well, so. you know, it also helps John that, you know, I've been doing this for 20 plus years now. So I have those years of residual fitness too. Mm -hmm. um, so that coupled with work, you know, having my coach really dial in my plan and, and, you know, a little bit of luck maybe on my, on my side too. It all just played out. Sure. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. Cause like we were talking, I was talking to Jake Stittler yesterday. I don't know if you know him, but he works with Floyd I don't. Leadville, you know, pro cyclist had a great cycling career and yeah, he just had some bad luck, got hit by a car, you know, and it ended career ending, boom, done over. So yeah. I think there's a mixture of just like hard work drive, and, and some, and some luck thrown in there. Um, yeah. but yeah, so speaking on that, like, 
we're going, you're going into an, another year. Let's just say you over 20 years, this is going to be, you know, coming on to your 21st year or something like that. You know, yeah. what, what was the goals this year um, coming into the season? Um, and yeah, how has that been? A, how has COVID kind of just fucked all that up and how are you making the best of it? Yeah. So, you know, for full transparency, I would say after, uh tw the 2018 i think the 2018 was dkxl yeah that was the first year of dkxl which i i was invited to do the inaugural version of the 350 mile event yeah i remember uh, that yeah, yeah yeah that was the last year i i worked with a coach um i was working with uh, my dear friend adam pulford he set me up really well great guy. great guy i ended up you know second behind matt acker who's just a beast when that's a funny story is Actually, Matt Acker and I spent a whole bunch of time together in 2015 on the Prairie. He was racing speed. <laughs> we didn't know each other, but we banded together at one point in the ride. And um, now we're obviously good friends. But, uh, you know, he won the inaugural XL. But uh, that was the last year I worked with a coach. I decided to, you know, step back. You know, I, I do have a job. A lot of people don't think I have a job, but I do have a day job um, as Goo's lead athlete manager. And I'm down in the office two days a week when that was able to happen. So I decided to step back from all the structure and just kind of start riding, um, you know, for fun again. But I was still, you know, logging anywhere between, you know, 8,000 to 10,000 miles per year, somewhere around that. So riding a lot, but just with no structure. Um, so I kind of feel like my career is, is shifting again, you know. I'm, I'm less, less relevant as a racer. Obviously, there's not a lot of racing happening right now, but I'm definitely not at the front end of, of things when it comes to, comes to the gravel scene. Not that that matters, you know. There's been a, you know, when say, Ted like, showed up, when yeah. Ted showed up in 2016, there was a tectonic shift. I've seen this yeah. number of times in horsepower and the eyes and the number of pros coming to the event. Like, it's rad. It's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so... I didn't necessarily, you know, choose to be less competitive or whatever, but I've just sort of now been focusing more on like the adventure side of riding and the joy that that brings me. And hopefully I can instill that in others that, you know, connecting these dots in your backyard or, or scheming up these big rides that you've always been dreaming about. Um, that's really attainable for everybody, for all of us, whatever level you're at. Um, as long as you prepare properly, pack properly. So I've been doing a lot of adventure rides, these ghost towns and gravel um, videos with Niner Bikes, my current bike sponsor, where we're exploring like central Nevada and history and stuff like that. Because I, yeah, yeah. I really want to encourage people to get out. We all need that right now more to get out in these wide open spaces, which are safe. Um, and so I am trying to do more um, adventure type content. Um, and I was going to do the, the, the usual events that I always do, you know, DK was, I would, I was going to do it again this year. I was possibly going to race it on a single speed gravel bike. Um, cause that's a, I, I do have a fondness for single speeds. Um, and you know, just Rebecca's private Idaho, all the, all the big gravel events. Um, but I wasn't going to like buckle down like I did in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, working with a coach. I just, decided to give myself a little bit of a break For from sure. that. I don't know if that's a or just, you know, other life responsibilities. You know, I manage our elite athletes um, and, you know, obviously want to do a good job with that too. So finding that balance. So I'd say more adventure for me now, and particularly now that none of us are able to really do much. Um, 
I'm trying to find ways to to put out content that inspires people to go explore their backyards yeah. more. Um, I finished a video project out in central Nevada um, around that same idea of exploring ghost towns um, for a company called iFit um, that does indoor training videos uh, uh-huh. for people who are their Nordic track or something like that or a stationary bike. So like you could choose to come ride gravel with me in central Nevada and you'd click the video and I would take you on a little tour and we would do like a 30 minute workout. Oh, uh, but you would get to see, you know, Belmont, Nevada or, you know, uh, Hamilton city or all these cool places off of highway 50. I just got to explore. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I also enjoy writing for magazines and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to find ways to, um, inspire people to explore, uh, an adventure. No, that's awesome. What's your next adventure? My next adventure. Well, I did one last weekend. Um, I was doing a, a, a little content piece for Camelback, one of my sponsors. I, yeah. uh, rode out into the Sierra Valley from Tahoe city via probably 80% dirt, a lot of new dirt that I'd never, um, been on before. Sierra Valley is one of the largest like sub Alpine valleys, um, sort of, uh, North of Truckee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, they call it like the lost Sierra. It's where, um, Grinduro happens, um, lost and found. And it's also, you know, up in that region where the Downeyville classic, a real, you know, old school classic mountain bike race, which I've done for 20 plus years too. So really rad zone. Um, so that was my most recent adventure. I'll probably be going back out there again to do some stuff. Um, and then maybe when we can travel heading to back to Iceland to, to, to do a video project there. One oh, of my Alf is in Iceland and uh, I've been to Iceland. I did their first event, the rift that happened last year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just stuff like that's like one of the coolest events, dude, the terrain is it will just blow your mind. Yeah. Cause I was talking to Ashley Lambie yeah. about it and we were like yeah. trying to like, when we were at mid south and this all was like you know the cold covid thing was still green so we were like didn't really we thought you know by by the end of march this should all be good like two weeks we'll be good right um and so i was like planning like do i go to track nationals or do i go to iceland and like there was this yeah (laughs) there was this huge like what do i do what do i do so yeah, yeah i i would love to get out there and do that race um but yeah so with you know, with, with just the, like, how's, how's the whole COVID thing, like affecting you as, you know, as an part of the industry, like we're hearing that yeah. it's, it's feast or famine right now. Like it's, yep. uh, I mean, you know, we had, we have athletes coming on who are just like, yeah, I'm struggling. And then we have athletes coming on who's like, I can't keep sponsors away. Like they're trying to get yeah. to do X, Y, and Z. So how is that affecting yeah. you? Yeah. Oh man. On, on many different levels. So uh, you know, I have a, I have a foot in both worlds. So, you know, I'm, I'm still an athlete and have sponsorship obligations. Uh, but I'm also, you know, I manage athletes. Um, and so I'm intimately familiar with the challenges that they're facing right now with no events, uh, you know, without having, um, the ability to write, you know, prove themselves at, uh, an, a race to create valuable, you know, once again, air quotes, valuable content, if that's something that a sponsor values. I don't necessarily put a ton of um, weight into people's performances. I want good people that I like and a yeah. great ambassador. 
for my brand. I could care less really about results. Results are great, but I'd rather have an awesome person um, than somebody who's standing on the top step all the time. For sure. So put athletes in a weird spot where they're becoming, having to become really creative, right? Start a podcast yeah. or uh, create more content and stuff like that. And so I find myself in that position too at, in, with my athlete hat on where yeah. sponsors are asking me, to create content, write dogs, do stuff like that. So that piece I just did up in the Sierra Valley will be for Camelback, um, yeah. you know, one of my longtime sponsors. And, um, and then, so then like the business side for Goo, you know, when we had the shutdown, like our production was shut down for eight weeks in Berkeley, you know, the city of Berkeley just, it, it got closed down. And you layer on top of that, no events happening. You layer on top of that retail being basically closed. So everything's online. Um, and we are one of the companies that are in the bit of the famine side of things right now. It's yeah. business is not so good for us. We're starting to see an uptick in sales, which is great. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we just had to go through a round of layoffs. And for a small company, we lost eight people. That's really really tough it's, it's horrible yeah. on so many different levels we're a small family owned like family we're we're a family goo i mean all of maybe 60 people and um so it's it's been hard um and yeah i yeah it's it and then for, you know you add on to that the anxiety with covid uh people losing jobs it's just it's it's a really adverse time and for all of us to have to deal with. And we're all feeling the ripples or the effects of it in different ways. Like you said, some people are doing really well um, in this current environment and, and, and some are not. Um, yeah. So just trying to, trying to stay positive and do what I can to, to help my athletes who were, you know, struggling, you know, many have families and kids and the whole homeschooling thing. So it's just such a dynamic, bizarre time to be living through. Such a big unknown. I think it's yeah. crazy. It's a scary thing. We're, the only certainty is the uncertainty right now, yeah. um, which, yeah, it's, it's hard to plan. I mean, I was speaking with one of my athletes this morning, Rose Grant, and we were talking about next year, but how do you talk about next year when we don't even know what's going to happen sure. like next week? Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been interesting for sure. Well, I think, I think that's the big scary part. It's like you, you sit down and you go, Oh yeah. Like, we'll be fine. Like, for example, like when we're at Mid-South, it's like, yeah, we'll be fine in two weeks. And then we get home and it's like, oh, we'll be fine in like three months. And then it's like, okay, they moved DK. They moved this around. They moved that around. Like, we'll be fine in September. And now it's like, people are like, whoa, we're not getting to September either. And then, so it's like, okay, we'll be good in January. And so now we've, we've said we've, you'd be good like eight times at this point. And so yeah. it's hard to go, we'll be good in January. Yeah. And so you know, trying to get these things going. It's just like, uh, what do we do? Like, what, what are we going to do? Um, yeah. So, I mean, a, a couple things, you know, I think the Olympics moving to next year was, was the canary in the coal mine, right? They, yeah. they foresaw this lasting longer. The fact that Ironman, right. Just canceled world championships in Kona in February, unfortunately. And I, I would love to be super positive like you, right. And be like, yeah, and get through this. But um, I'm not going to go into the politics of it, but we're just not seeing the leadership there to, sure. to help get through this, unfortunately. And so I do think we're going to be dealing with this for a lot longer than we had ever imagined. 
um, in our worst nightmares. Um, and but, you know, I guess some silver line is we are seeing some events get creative, right, with how they stage with uh, COVID mitigations put into place, right? The Telluride 100 is is going to be happening, I think, in two weeks mm -hmm. uh, or a week. Um, you know, Keegan Swinson and Aaron Huck, two two goo athletes, will will be at that. Um, you know, a time trial starts, uh, stuff like that, remote, um, you know, reg pickup. They're trying to put all these safety precautions in place to, to make it safe for the athletes. But um, that's the exception right now. Um, so like you were saying, who knows what's going to happen um, as, we, as we look to 2021. I'm not making any plans, to be honest, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it'll most likely change. Nah, yeah, nah, yeah, that's that's a good idea. I mean, I think we're all kind of just like go with the flow and just because I mean, you know, for a guy like me, you know, who just started a team this year, you know, and pitched and pitched to some of these people like, hey, this is what yeah. we're doing this year, and this is why it's gonna be really cool. Um, what do you do for them for next year? It's kind of like it's funny because everybody's like thinking on the athlete side of things of like well, they can't, they need to have their team spot for next year. Well, what, what about the money that the sponsor invested for that one year? How are they going to invest yeah. it for the second year? And it's like, well, they didn't have yeah. to use it. Well, yeah, kind of, they did like, you know, it depends on the sponsor. Right. And so it, it's interesting to think from an athlete, from a sponsor, from an event promoter, you know, having, uh, you know, Michael Marks on here, having, um, you know, Mark Sekowitz on here as well. Yeah. Like, like those guys, like chatting with them and hearing the stories of like, I need refunds. I need this. I need X. I need Y. And it's like, guys, we are athletes, but we're also like, we have to invest in these events. We have to invest in these sponsors if we want them to stay. Yeah. Because if we don't, they're gone. And, and then we have, we have no sponsor because there's no event to go to. And we have no event to go to because we have no sponsor. And yeah. so, I really like, I don't know how many times I can get that across on this podcast, but if you help, help the sponsor and help, help the, uh, help the race promoter. And when this stuff goes away, you'll be shocked at the cool things that can maybe happen. That's just my for two cents. For, for sure. And I'm, I would imagine that you had an in-depth conversation with, with Michael Marks about his program right, to, to, to try to help promoters who are hurting yeah. because, yeah. you know, there's frightening stats out there, right? He has like a grant program that he's been promoting. There's some frightening stats out there that like, you know, 70 to 80% of events, if they don't get some sort of help uh, could go away. Yeah. Um, which is, which is horrible. You know, you have promoters like Mark Sackwitz and Rebecca Rush, all these people, you know, who, uh, have invested so much into their events and then mm. COVID has just sort of blown it all up and, and brought a lot of things into question. It, it, yeah, it's really difficult time for sure. Well, Dave Sheik and Amanda Newman were launching their yeah. event this year and it like, yeah. so halt, like, and I, you know, I, I don't know them super well, but I know them well enough to know that it's not like that can't be super easy for them, you know? Um, no, time and all I was super, Super bummed to see that. Um, Amanda and I are teammates on Niner. I've yeah. known Amanda. She actually won DK the year I won. She's won it twice. Uh, but for folks who don't know, they just released, um, she and Dave and their other teammate just released a really cool video about what bikes can do 
for folks as far as bringing our community together that doesn't necessarily involve racing. Um, I'll make sure I get you the link. I just put it out on my Twitter yesterday because she sent me the link. But it's a really inspiring video um, that they put together. Um, so check it out. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that's super cool, man. And like, uh, the last thing I want to do is end on a, on a super sour note. But, uh, but yeah, just one more thing. I, yeah. I kind of, you know, I've heard, I've heard people been asked these questions of like, what's one thing that they've needed in quarantine? Like, what's one thing that you've really realized? If there's anything that I've realized in quarantine is that I've always been quarantined. Um, like as a cyclist, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, because you come from home, but like, what's, what's one to two things that you're like, I need in quarantine and you can leave the bike out of it. We get the bike thing, but like, what's yeah. one odd thing? Well, I don't think it's an odd thing, but, uh, I need my community, dude. Yeah, I miss, that's awesome. I miss, I miss human interact. Not that I'm not, I mean, this is interaction, yeah, right? yeah. but I miss, I miss hanging out with people in person. For sure. Um, told multiple folks that I'm i I'm an outdoor dog, dude. I don't, I don't, yeah need to be in my office i do better when i'm outside at events hosting athletes or media or facilitating a camp or whatever it is that's where i thrive that's that's why i love school teaching because i love the interaction with the kids so i think if i had to pinpoint one thing is i'm really missing my community For you know sure. that interaction with people um you know i get bits and you know bits of it here and there i've been riding with small crews we just had a, a, a small crew come out for my 50th uh, up in Tahoe a few weeks back. I was just like so good for my heart and soul to like yeah. see all these people that um, have been in my life some, you know, like 30 years. Um, but I think, yeah, that's the biggest thing I'm missing is, is just the community. Like yeah. anything else is just material or whatever. Like I haven't missed anything like that. It's just the, the human interaction, the connection. Um, because I think that's one of the things that you and I love. I mean, that's how we met, bro, right? Yeah. At a camp, like outside and yeah. conversations that you get to have with people, uh, you know, the, the, the ability that people have to push themselves through things, like all those just like create this awesome bond between us. The fact that I got to speak to the USMES team, you know, I'm like friends with all those guys now. It's super cool. It's yeah. my network. I really miss that interaction. Um, so, you know, I miss hugging people, your high yeah. five, all of that, right? Like yeah. I care less about clothing items or food or whatever it is like that people may be missing during quarantine. It's, it's, it's the human interaction that I miss the most. So, um, yeah. No, that's beautiful, man. And that, that that's true. It rings true. It's definitely something that I miss. Cause you know, we were having the conversation the other day where it's like, the one thing that I love about doing this is the people that you meet throughout it. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, you get this and you have this sponsor and you, you work with this company. And it's like all those sponsors, all those companies that I work with, that all started off of, hey man, what's going on? And then you- A relationship. The connection. Yeah. And, and then the connection that hits. And it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. So any you know junior or anybody that's looking to ever, like if you send out a sponsorship packet, like hear this out talk like get to know that person because it becomes because you even when you're buying that bike at like 50 percent off or whatever you did or whatever sponsorship deal you worked out you know that started because they were like 
I like you. There's something here. There's a niche. Yeah. Here. We're not Peter Sagan. You know, we're not, you know, some world tour guru that can sell these bikes off the shelf. They're not selling my Jersey <laughs> in the store. Not know? yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> but, but show that there's more to it than you just getting a free bike. And, yeah. and, and that comes natural. But anyways, thank you so much for your time, Yuri. I really appreciate it. And uh, totally. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. And I'll put all the links that we talked about throughout this entire podcast down in the description below. So please be sure to check that out. And yeah, peace, guys.